And the reason why we're going over apologetics this evening, rather than a normal Bible study, is because we want you guys to leave here equipped. It's really, really important to talk about bad ideas, to talk about bad philosophies, to talk about bad ideologies, for the very reason that one day when you leave high school and go into college, you're going to hear bad ideas. And if you can't confront them, you won't have a place at the table when it comes to discussing things with an education. When people in the world talk about how all morality is relative, you don't even know what that means. How will you be able to speak intelligently to a person who says that God must be an evil God because he just makes up the rules as he goes along? And maybe that person wouldn't even be apt to listening to you just because you don't know how to answer the question. Or even worse than that, if there is a culture that is shaped by bad ideas that Christians can't address, then Christians won't even have a place to speak intelligently about the things of God. So breaking that down, if we don't know how to combat bad ideas like the Bible tells us to, we cast down every proud argument that is against the knowledge of, of Christ and bring it to obedience to the knowledge of Christ. If we can't do that, what happens is a government institution might say, well, we're, we're going to go in this direction and Christians won't have a say because they feel like Christians are, oh, Christians are dumb. They don't know anything about science. They don't know anything about history. And we'll keep it in, and Christianity becomes a realm of feelings and emotions, but not the intellect. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be in. And then you'll see the country make dumb decisions. Here's a dumb decision. How about in Texas, how they wanted to change the whole way that you, you um, they wanted to, ch basically what they're doing is they're eliminating gender roles in bathrooms. So they don't want a guy's room and a girl's room. They, they just want, if you know, you feel like you're a girl and you're a guy, you can go into the girl's room. I'm sorry, that's dumb. That's just ridiculous. And, and the weirdest thing is that there are a lot of people that think it's okay. If you feel like you're a girl, you should be able to go into the, no, you're a guy, so go to the guy's bathroom. Listen, that, that's, that's wholly apart from the talk about homosexuality. That's just, that's just ridiculous. Now, I have friends that are homosexual that aren't Christian. I have not had one come up to me and say that, I, that they want to go into the, the bathroom of the opposite sex. I've never heard them say that. But you see, if Christians don't know how to talk about this intelligently, what's going to happen is they're going to say something really dumb, and then the world looks at that and says, see, Christians are just full of emotions, but not the intellect. They don't know how to speak about these things intelligently. So that's why we're talking about apologetics this evening, so we can combat the world when the world tells us that ideas like good and evil just depend on the culture that you live in. And that's really where we're getting at this evening. But let's pray, and then we'll get to that. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We pray, Lord, as we uh, read a couple verses and we talk about apologetics, that you help us to think. Lord, I know that sometimes, I mean, most of the time, I'm really confusing. So I pray that you help me to be able to just bring this into plain language. And Lord, that you would help us to be able to witness and to evangelize 
and to share your gospel with people in a way that they can understand. We thank you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what would you do if a professor one day, and listen, I've had many, 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 many high school students graduate, go to college, and come back to me and be like, Alan, uh, so what was that thing that you said about morality? What was that thing you said about, uh, you know, the existence of God? They ask me the apologetic, apologetic questions after they leave high school because they realize that when you go into the world, these professors are actually believing these ridiculous things. And they'll say things like, well, can't you see that the only reason why you believe that marriage is between man and a woman is because that's the culture that you grew up in. But if you went into, say, Africa, there are some tribes in Africa that believe that you can be married to one, two, three, five, ten people. And for them, that's right. And you would be wrong. So all this shows, and you see all throughout the history and, and time, the history of, of mankind, you see different cultures have different beliefs about a lot of different moral, uh, moral choices. So because of that, what that shows us is that morality is relative. Relative meaning depends on the culture. You feel like loving your neighbors is right. I feel like eating my neighbors is right. It just depends on the culture that you grew up in. But what this does is this has very, very negative consequences. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But here's the other problem, though. Let's say a Christian doesn't know how to combat this false idea. So your professor just spurts on about how morality is relative. Ideas like good and evil just depend on the culture that you live in. If Christians don't know how to address that, all of a sudden you're stuck with an awkward position. Because that means if God still exists and morality is relative... That means that God could send people to hell that didn't know that they were committing crimes. That means that depending on what culture you grew up in, you might feel like it's right to do something that God says is wrong. And just by virtue of the place that you're born, you're going to hell for the choices you thought were right, but you're mistaken about your beliefs. Because the, mor the morals that you have just bait are based in your culture but not based in anything objective so first we got to define our terms before we go too fast because i know i'm gonna just shoot over your heads i taught about the moral argument about two years ago to junior high kids and maybe some of you guys were there and i listened to it and i was like oh my goodness lord forgive me for my heresy because there's no way anyone understood what i said maybe maybe kenny maybe kenny um Let's talk about the difference between objective and subjective. For taking notes, it helps, but I also have a note paper for you afterwards I'll hand to you. The word objective means it's mind independent. It's independent of your thinking, independent of your mind. What does that mean? Well, let me explain by way of example. An objective truth about the world is something like, I'm here right now. I'm here. Regardless of whether you believe it or not, I am here. Gravity exists. It's an objective truth. Even if there are no human beings on planet Earth, gravity would still exist. It's not dependent on a mind, but subjective is mind-dependent. It's a truth that only exists if minds exist. So things like, 
I believe that chocolate ice cream is good. It's tasty. But that's a subjective reality for, my, for me. It may not be true for someone else. I believe that One Direction is the best band in the entire world. It's a subjective truth. Completely subjective. Not objective whatsoever. One person who's delusional may, may feel that way. But other people may not feel that way. And there's no necessarily right or wrong answer. I mean, you can talk about their skill level objectively, but you can't talk about the aesthetics of One Direction objectively. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Are you with me so far? <laughs> Inside joke. Continuing on. So we got objective and subjective. So objective in speaking about morality means that concepts like goodness and evil really exist even if no minds believe it. Even if no one here believes that there are things like good and evil, uh, morality, terms like good and evil really do exist. That's objective. Now, if morality is subjective based on the subject, based on the mind, that means that good and evil are just kind of like feelings, just kind of like emotions. And one may feel something is good and the other may feel like it is evil. It's just a matter of opinion, but it's not, uh, no person is required to be bound by these morals. So an objective truth about morality would be something like uh, the Nazis were evil when they murdered the Jewish people. That is objectively evil. Whether you believe it or not, you may be a lunatic, but it doesn't matter. The fact is they were evil. Subjective will be like, well, we may feel like the Nazis were evil, but for the Nazis, they believe they were doing the right thing. Now, you can already see how this is whacked out. So there is a difference, by the way, between relativism and subjectivism. We're not going to get into that tonight. That's not what you need to know. But relativism, believing that morals are relative, will say things like, well, depending on the culture that you, you live in, uh, it doesn't really mean anything when you say that something is wrong. See, when you embrace subjectivism, relativism in the world, and professors sound really smart, they can give you a lot of examples on how this culture believes this, that culture believes that. We all have so many differences. Why don't we just try to harmonize all the beliefs? You believe in the, the God of the Bible. They believe in the God of the Quran. And you know what? No one's right. Let's all just get along. It doesn't work that way because you have very negative consequences. Namely, no one is able to make moral judgments on a different culture. That's just a different culture. So in other words, I can't, if morality is relative, I can't judge the Nazis. I can't say that they were wrong in what they believe. It was just different. You can only talk about differences. You can't talk about them being wrong or right, which is really awkward because I believe that some people are evil. I, I believe it is wrong to murder people for no reason. I believe it is, it is wrong to torture people, especially innocent children. So people like professors and people that like to sound smart will often say things like that, but they don't embrace the consequences of their beliefs. Now, listen very carefully. If we go in this dangerous direction of just believing that morals are relative and subjective, what happens is we could envision a culture in which we're ruled by Nazis and what they're doing is right and not wrong. You see that actually uh, play out in different cultures that try to brainwash their people into believing that their dictator is God or their dictator is, is doing the right thing and we should worship him. You see that in some 
parts of Asia. And what we would do is we would look at that culture and say that is wrong. Right now, North Korea is under a lot of heat because the UN is looking at them and saying that this culture is mistreating their people. But if relativism is right, we can't judge them. They're just doing it differently than we are. But then that means we shouldn't save people that are being harmed. That means we shouldn't go and rescue those that are being mistreated. And so, anyway, objective truth, just to boil it down once again, means that it's, it's independent of the mind. Subjective means it's dependent on the mind. So, you have a lot of weird consequences of subjectivism, which means things like, that meal was terrible is the same as saying the Holocaust was terrible. It loses all meaning, which is ridiculous. There's an analogy I have. Um, there's a, a student who is in college, had a professor. The professor said, write about whether morals are, are objective or subjective. And so the student is like, oh, obviously they're subjective. So he starts writing all about and all these proofs and like examples of different cultures believe that morality is subjective. Hands it to his professor, he gets an F. After all that hard work, and when you get to college, you'll write 20 page papers. Congratulations, you'll love it. All that work, all the, all the nights of staying up late. Why? Why did you give me an F? And he says, I gave you an F because I don't like blue folders. Well, obviously, there is something wrong about that. But if he believes that morality is subjective, he can't critique his professor, right? Because it was just his opinion. If he feels like he should treat someone unfairly, he should be able to. So anytime someone says to you that morality is relative subjective, just kick them and see what they say about that. Ouch, don't do that. You're going to tell me what I should do? Who are you to tell me that I should not kick you? Because I feel like kicking is right. And don't actually kick people. That's dumb. So here's the argument. How does this point to God? What does this have to do with, uh, about God? I'm about to tell you. Well, I believe that every single person, and listen, this is something I didn't realize until two years ago. I think this could be one of the most powerful proofs for the existence of God, and here's why. Because everyone deep down knows that there are some things that are really good and some things that are really evil. We all have a conscience. In fact, the Bible says it in Romans chapter 2, if you're there, in verse 14, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So here's the thing. We all know that there are some things that are really right and really wrong, even if we're just confused. Even if we disagree on whether uh, homosexuality is a sin or not, or we believe that it's right or wrong to, uh, to kill people that want to die or, you know, to end people that are near the end of their life. All these controversial questions, even if we're confused about that, that's evidence of our conscience being seared, but not the fact that we don't have a conscience, period. Everyone knows that what, if you see devastation in the world somewhere, there is something wrong about that. When you see a child 
who's without his mother and he's, he's killed in a tsunami, you look at that and you don't just say, oh, that's the, you know, whatever, you know, it's nature. You say, that's a tragedy. That's sad. If a man uh, dives over his girlfriend to protect her from the bullets that were shot in Colorado and he dies, we don't look at that and say, oh, well, you know, the woman has a right to die. We say that's a, that's a noble thing that that guy did to protect his girlfriend from being shot. We know there are some things that are really right and there are some things that are really wrong. So here's the moral argument that points to God. Every law has a lawgiver. Every law has a lawgiver. If I told you there's a law, obviously it's because someone wrote the law, right? Secondly, there is an objective moral law. And we all know that deep down inside. Number three, therefore there is a moral law giver. Number one, there's a, every law has a lawgiver. Number two, there's an objective moral law. And number three, therefore there is a moral lawgiver. All that to boil down, that was just a fancy way of saying every prescription has a prescriber. If you go up to the doctor's office and say, hey, um, I need a prescription. Like, okay, who's your doctor? Well, I just, I just felt like, you know, I, I should get a prescription. But yeah, but who prescribed it? You don't have a prescription without having a prescriber. You don't have a law without having a law giver. Just like the government writes down these laws and we have to obey them. We don't just say, oh yeah, I have this law. Well, who wrote the law? We're like, oh, I just, I just feel like this is the way that we, I, I feel like I should drive 35 miles an hour. This I just sense it. I just feel like this is the right speed to go. There is a right and wrong uh, answer to what is the speed limit on this road. So if we say things like we should help people and do good, okay, I agree with you. But why should we? Who is telling us that we should help people? Well, don't you think so? Yeah, of course I believe that we should help people. But what makes it morally binding that if you see a person starving on the side of the road or a person who's hurt, dying, bleeding, and you don't help them, that's wrong. If we're like not the Good Samaritan and we're that priest and we see that person just lying on the road, dying and bleeding, and that person walks by, we would say that that's a shame. That's not the right thing to do. Well, who's the one telling us that we should help that person? I'm not saying that it's, it's not a nice thing to do. And because of this, uh, all, the, all the people in the world that are atheists try to come up with all these different reasons and moral theories. We'll get to that in a second. But first, let's get to the moral theory we, we have. If a perfect, all-loving God exists who is good, then it makes perfect sense that we would get the concepts of good and evil from him, from his nature. Right? Just think about it. Okay, if you have laws, that's because you have a government above you that tells the citizens what you're to do. If we have God up here and humanity down here and God says these are the things that humanity should do, it would make sense that we would get good and evil from him. But if it's just me just telling you, hey, you should also... Uh, do nice things for me. I believe that's right. I think you should treat me well, well and nice and, and buy me brownies all the time. That's my law. You'll look at me like, why should I listen to you? But if God tells you who created you and made you, then it's a little bit different, especially if he is the paradigm of moral goodness, which means not that he says things are good and not because he points to a law that says it's good independent of himself, but because out of his nature flows goodness he prescribes his laws. And we'll get to that in a little bit too because I know that's really confusing. All right, so he doesn't just choose what's right or wrong. Goodness is a trait that flows from his nature. 
So asking why is God good is kind of like asking why does a square have four sides? It's its nature. So if we look at it and we're like, well, I, I think that some of the laws that God made are wrong. Don't you realize that God, if he really wanted to, he could have created you with a twisted sense of justice. And you could have believed that he was, he was right. If God really, really wanted to, he could have created you with a different set of morals and uh, the way that he thinks, and then you would have never questioned him. If we have a sense that some things are really right and some things are really wrong, that is derived from some other uh, place. That's derived from God himself. Now, if it's not God, now you're left with a problem. What determines what is good and what is right? Because if there's no being that is maximally good, there's no standard, then there, we have no ultimate lawgiver, no prescriber, no authority that can, we can point to in order to show that some things are really good or really evil. We have no legs to stand on. If you say, even if you think that some of the laws that God made in the Bible are wrong, take God out of the equation, what do you have? You have absolutely no leg to stand on because anything you say as a law, if you're like, okay, make up your own law. Just what do you feel is good and what do you uh, feel is bad? You're going to base it on how you feel. You're not going to base it on some objective standard. You're going to base it on something subjective. So here, I saw this amazing example in a movie two years ago, but I can't tell you the name of the movie because the movie isn't like all that kosher for Passover. But in this movie, if you know the name of this movie, don't say it, please. But the premise of this movie is that there's this dude who's bullied all his life. And he and his friends are walking in this forest and they stumble upon psychic powers. Typical movie. And in this movie, he gets the psychic power or whatever and, and then he can move cars, he can fly, pretty awesome. And then one day he's just, he's fooling around and then he accidentally moves this car and it falls into a ditch with, full of people. So he, they accidentally kill people. And they get really serious, like, okay, this is not cool. We need, we need to make rules about our psychic powers. We will not hurt anybody with our psychic powers. So that's what they work on. They're like, okay, we have this, this contract now. All of us with power will not use that power for abuse. We won't hurt anyone. But then they come across a problem. And there's actually a turning point in this movie because the person who's bullied all his life, who has the psychic powers now, eventually comes to this boiling point where he's bullied so much and he has this moment in front of the camera and he's looking at a spider, he crushes the spider and says, if we're all just from nature, if we're all just evolutionary uh, processes and we're all just like insects or anything else, what's to keep me from squashing a bug? Why, what's keeping me from defeating my enemies? What's keeping me, if I'm more powerful than someone else, than to, to rule over that person? And from that point of the movie, he goes ballistic and starts killing people. And so you look at that, and then he dies in the end. And so I just spoiled the movie. Don't watch the movie anyway. But anyway, I thought that was a beautiful example. Because that's, the thing is, you can look at that and, and know that's wrong. But if you're an atheist, it seems hard to say why that's wrong. You have no moral leg to stand on to say that this person is wrong because your beliefs are based on your own opinion. So, you with me so far? Tracking. Okay, good. We're going to get to some objections here. Because now we have to talk about the atheist argument. We talked about what the, the moral argument is for the existence of God. Every, every person knows you have a conscience. That points 
to a creator that points to the fact that there is someone above humanity that gives us a moral law. You don't have a law without a lawgiver. So what does an atheist say? What, what are his arguments and, and what, what, what would they say to this? Well, objection number one would be something like this. You don't need God to be a good person. You don't need God. I, I mean, I, I know plenty of good people that are atheists and they're good people. Atheist Sam Harris believes goodness is the best possible world for everyone. And evil is the worst misery for everyone. So goodness is the flourishing and the happiness of the most amount of people. So there, the, this guy, he's an atheist, one of the four horsemen of the new atheism. Actually, there's three now because one of them died. Sam Harris, really popular, really smart dude. He talks about, okay, we can have morality without God, and it's this. Goodness is the flourishing and happiness of most people in the world. The most amount of people, happiness for everybody, and evil is misery for the most amount of people. And he has this entire book called The Moral Landscape, which all talks about this concept, and says, aha, see, we have moral grounding for the things that we believe. But here's a critique, I would say. If atheism is true, what makes the flourishing and happiness of most creatures morally binding? In other words, I, I might like to be happy, but who's to say that humans should be happy? Why not giraffes or bees or bunnies? Why is it that, that humans are the ones that have to be happy and flourish and whatever? And so this is actually kind of interesting. If you're an atheist, I don't see how you can have a moral argument I don't, I don't see how you can say it is a good thing to eat meat. I think you should be a vegetarian if you're an atheist. I think the only reason we have to eat meat is because of the Bible. Because God has given us dominion not to abuse creatures, but because he, we are made differently than the animals. We can treat them a little bit differently, and God has given them to us. Uh, and we're not just the same level as these apes or insects or bugs or whatever. But if you're an atheist... This is your cousin. You're going to eat your cousin? Really? What reason do you have to say that humans are the ones that should flourish? That's to commit speciesism. So, all that being said, let me give you another example. Let's say you're driving on Route 9, because police pull you over on Route 9, but you're just driving a little over the speed limit. Not, nothing crazy. Five miles an hour. They can't write me a ticket five miles an hour. Whatever. And an old man in a Buick, 1980s Buick, barely, barely running, starts honking behind you, flashing, like he has the lights in his car. He puts them on top and it's like, pull over. Are you going to pull over? You might just because you're curious. But then the old man comes up to you and says, like, listen, I'm going to write you a ticket. You're like, you can't write me a ticket. You're not a police officer. I'm an old man. It doesn't matter if he's an old man. He doesn't have the authority to tell you that you're doing something wrong. He might be able to point out that you're doing something wrong, but he can't say what you should or shouldn't do because he doesn't have the, the authority. And so why is the flourishing and happiness of most people identified as moral goodness? And in fact, we can say that there's a knockdown argument against it, and that's this. If we say, let's say the atheist wants to say that flourishing of humans the most amount of humans and happiness for the most amount of humans is good. That's goodness. That's the same thing. We can envision a world in which there's psychopathic evil people that like torturing people and it makes them happy to torture people that are just the majority of the people on the earth. 
in that kind of a world, the, the thing that would be good and the flourishing and happiness of most people would be all these evil people torturing people. But we wouldn't say that's a good world. We would say that's still an evil world where they've brainwashed everyone and they're taking control and we should take control back. So what we see is that is not the exact same thing. So his argument kind of falls flat. If you don't understand that, I can explain later. All right, number two. So another atheist might say something like this. If God is the ultimate lawgiver and the source of morality, why is it that we have all these different moral opinions? Why do all these, uh, these people groups feel different things? So one people group might feel that homosexuality is a sin and another may not. One people group may feel like it's okay to have five wives, five husbands. Another group may not. Another might feel like it's okay to have this ritual that you go through where you have to pierce your nose and like you have the hazing. And like a lot of tribes in Africa have some weird stuff going on so that you become like a, a, a man or whatever. So you have all these different views and different opinions. If God really is the source of it, why, don't, why doesn't everyone have universal standards of morality? In, in, in other words, why don't we all have the same beliefs, the moral beliefs? Well, a person that asks this question is confusing two different things. When we say that God is a source of all moral goodness, that does not mean that everyone will have the same beliefs. That's to confuse the ontological question with the epistemological question, which is something you don't need to know. What you do need to know is this. If God is the source you can get a source even if you don't know everything about the source. The question is, where does any belief that you have about morality come from? So another example would be this. You may not know everything about the spectrum of light, but you can observe light. You can know that there's a difference between light and dark, but someone else might be able to show you a spectrum, data, scientific data about light and how light travels and all these other facts about light that you didn't know. You don't need to know all the facts about light to know the difference between light and darkness. It's the same thing. Our consciences are given by God, but they have been seared by sin and the fall so that we have different moral beliefs. But any moral belief that you have should ultimately point you to where is God when it hurts? Where is God when there's injustice? And I believe all of us deep down know that who is the source of that object number three almost done don't worry if god is really a good god then how come there is evil in the world that's a whole nother study that we're not getting into tonight but i'll i'll address it with the c.s lewis quote he says as an atheist my argument against god was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust but how had i got this idea of just and unjust a man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So I'm going to hand you a handout. And on this handout, you have this little scribble that kind of resembles New Jersey. And then I have a smiley face right next to it. And I'll ask you, which one looks more like New Jersey? Well, you have to compare it with a perfect picture of New Jersey, right? If there is no perfect picture of New Jersey, then it's just either one could look like New Jersey. You have no idea because there is no right answer. But if there is a right answer, if there is a paradigm of moral goodness, even if you're not sure what those morals are, you have to admit that there must be a perfect picture. If you have any idea of what is good, you must have that per perfect picture. Just like he says, if I 
see a line and I see it's crooked, that's because I'm comparing it to a straight line. Same thing with evil. Evil is the deprivation of good. It's a lack of goodness. Evil isn't a thing in itself, but since God is goodness, anything, uh, anything minimizing from his goodness is evil. It is sin. It's missing the mark. Signs can tell us the how. It can't tell us what we ought to do. Science can't tell you that you should clean your room. Science doesn't do that. It's not, the, it's not the purpose of science. Science is supposed to tell you how things work. It can tell you how to make your room clean. You spray it with this chemical or do this thing. But it can't tell you that you should use this chemical. In the same way, um, there are a lot of things that science just can't tell us. It can observe things, but it can't tell us what we should do. Um, so on atheism, there's no reason to have these moral obligations can tell us what we are but not what's wrong with what we are here's a quote by the serial murderer and cannibal jeffrey dahmer very famous uh crazy man from a while ago he said this if it all happens naturalistically what's the need for god can't i set my own rules who owns me i own myself he wondered if there's no god and we all just came from the slime, then what's the point of trying to modify your behavior to keep it within acceptable ranges? You see, anything that a person tells you, if they don't believe in God, anything they tell you. Listen, just put yourself in the shoes of a person you're talking to who's, who's an atheist, who says that morality is relative, but I believe some things are good and some things are evil. And you ask them why. Why do you believe that this thing is good and why do you think that this thing's evil? And listen, well, that's because I believe that, uh, you know, Christians shouldn't persecute people. And I believe that this is something that we, and they start listing off rules. Like, don't harm people, don't hurt people. You can, oh, whatever they say, you can always ask them, says who? Like the little playground kid who's asking, says who? Says who? My mama said. You're asking what competent authority is prescribing these things that I have to listen to you. You really should clean your room, says who? You really shouldn't hurt people, says who? You can always ask that question because they don't have an authoritative leg to stand on. I'm going to close with this quote by uh, Yale professor Arthur Leff. He recognized this problem. You can always trace things back to says who at the end. And he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. But he recognizes there are some things that are really wrong. He says this. All I can say is this. It looks as if we are all we have. In other words, no God. Given what we know about ourselves and each other, this seems like an extraordinary, unappetizing prospect. Looking around the world, it seems that if all men are brothers, the ruling model is Cain and Abel. Neither reason, nor love, nor even terror seems to have worked to make us good. And worse than that, there is no reason why anything should. Only if ethics were something unspeakable by us could law be unnatural and therefore unchallengeable. In other words, anything that you say, if the government is making rules, and they make laws all the time, there's no way apart from God to tell if they're making the right rules or the wrong rules. And we can envision a culture that's just morally depraved in the future because they don't have God as their moral compass. And this Yale professor realizes that if we are all that we have, we can't set rules that we know are right. And we can be very skeptical and worried about a world in the future. So he says, as things stand now, everything 
is up for grabs. You can just make whatever rule that you want. Nevertheless, napalming babies is bad. Starving the poor is wicked. Buying and selling each other is depraved. There is in the world such a thing as evil. Altogether now, says who? Very powerful. So all that to say, let's say, how, how do we boil this down practically? How do we use this in a conversation? Because maybe I was just talking and you're just, I, I have no idea what you said. All right. Let's boil this down to the practical aspect. So you're talking to a person, you're evangelizing. Actually, a very good opener is just going up to a person and, and asking them, do you believe that there's something wrong with this world? I find it very hard that you're going to find a person who says, no, everything's great. Really? You have ISIS and all these terrorists and all these crazy people just roaming around and, and hacking people's heads off all of a sudden. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, no, there's something's wrong. Well, what's wrong? What's wrong with the world? And they'll usually say stuff like, the government, my mom, <laughs> you. <laughs> they'll say all kinds of different things. And what I usually like to point out is, you know, what's really interesting is we'll always point at everyone else. We'll never look inside. And the thing is, there is sin in everyone's heart. All of us have made mistakes. It's not just everyone out there and we're just good people that are just separate from the sin, separate from the evil. But at the root of it, we all have sin inside. So that gives me a place to talk about sin. And then I ask him, what are you doing to change it? What are you doing to address the problem in the world uh, today? I say, well, I try to do my best. I try to like, listen, apart from God, you will never be able to change the world. There's nothing you can do. But all of us realize, all of us realize that there are some things that are really good and there are some things that are really evil. So I'll talk about that. So if you realize there's a problem with this world, that's because there really is something wrong with this world. I'll tell you what it is. It's sin. It's not just someone's opinion over here, someone's opinion, opinion over there. It's that there are some things that are really wrong and really bad uh, and really right about this world. All those different options are available to us because there's a God that loves us, died for us 2,000 years ago. So you can get on a conversation that way. Because everyone knows that there's something wrong about death. You may say that death is a natural byproduct of how we live our lives. And, and then when we go into the ground and that's it. But when a person in my family dies, when a friend of mine dies, when a person I've known all my life dies, it hurts. And it doesn't just feel like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a shame. It feels like it was never meant to be this way. And I believe that is evidence that there is a good God out there that wants to remedy the objective wrong about the world of sin and death and wrongdoing. And he's coming one day to make it all right. If you trust in him now, you experience eternal life today. You don't have to wait any longer. You can experience eternal life today so that, as my youth pastor said, it's not, eternal life is not... Days added to your life, it's, it's life added to your days. So your eternal life can begin today and extend into eternity so that death itself loses its sting. All of a sudden, it's not a problem anymore. It's just a mode of transportation to get you to your ultimate and final destination. Let's pray.